I'm Eric. And I'm Lauren. We've both volunteered for progressive political causes. And we're both nerds. Growing up, Shira was one of my favorite shows. I've never seen it before. Catching it on Netflix again recently, it struck me how modern the show still feels. Even though it's definitely a product of its time. We're interested in the ways She-Ra presents a modern progressive message. And the ways in which it fails. Join us each week as we dive deep into a different She-Ra story. Always with an eye on how it relates to the present. We're only doing episodes from the first season, so you can follow along on Netflix. But we'll also recap the episodes so you don't have to. We'd love to hear your feedback on everything we're discussing. So please, enjoy this political, nerdy dive into a heck of a cartoon. This This is is She-Ra, Progressive Progressive of Power. Hi, everybody. Welcome to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. As always, I am Lauren. No, wait, I'm Eric. <laughs> good one. Hey, good jokes. I do bits. Did I mention I do comedy podcasts, too? Uh, well, I'm Eric, as you can clearly see. No, you're Lauren. Uh, I'm Eric. Okay. I got it wrong once. I'm sorry. So it's only been a week since you've heard us last, probably, but it's been two weeks since we've seen each other, because in the time between recordings... I went uh, on a vacation and Lauren went to Dragon Con. I did. I went to Dragon Con and I was on the lookout, as promised, for He-Man and She-Ra cosplay. I did, in fact, see a, a regular She-Ra as well as a Playboy bunny She-Ra. I saw a He-Man, a Prince Adam, and a baby He-Man. And baby He-Man's outfit was completely like knit or crochet or something. Was it an actual baby dressed as He-Man or a grown man dressed as a baby version of He-Man? Thankfully, it was an actual baby, so it was cute. The other one is not a mental image I needed today. I, uh, When I was at Gen Con a few weeks ago, I saw way more She-Ra and like, no He-Man at all. But I guess Dragon Con's a little bit bigger of an ordeal, so I would expect a little more diversity of costuming. It is. This year, there were 82,000 people there. It was a record-setting year, and uh, I definitely, for the first time, felt that it might have been getting too big. That's a ton of people. Like I was just vacationing at Yellowstone, and I don't know that there's a city in Wyoming that has 82,000 people in it. Dragon Con is its own city, and then when you take into account that the people who aren't at the con come to Atlanta to see the parade that the con puts on. It's a fire hazard, is what I'm saying. It's a tremendous fire hazard. Well, now we're back and we're here to talk some more uh, She-Ra. And today we're doing an episode that many fans consider to be the series best. Uh, I do not think that it is the best episode, but I think it's a very important episode. And I have I have quite a bit to say about this one myself. Great. This episode is called The Price of Freedom. I'm really hyped because for several episodes of this podcast, I've heard how good this episode is. I think my expectations might have been too high, but we'll get there in a second. So, okay, what happens? This episode opens on Eternia, and Prince Adam is flying around with Orko, and then he gets a message from the sorceress that She-Ra needs him. And so he goes to Etheria and steps into the middle of this war zone, and this village is being completely obliterated by Hordak and some Horde troopers because they were miners and they mined the last of the mineral that Hordak used them for. So he's like, well, I don't need you guys anymore. And then they decided to join the rebellion and uh, and in retribution, Hordak is destroying their homes. So Adam turns to He-Man, She-Ra and He-Man kind of help fight the Horde, but there's actually too many Horde people there. 
And so Shira goes to Whispering Woods to get help, and He-Man kind of holds up with the the townspeople in this mountain. But the Horde overwhelms him and shoots him with a freeze ray, and he's incapacitated. And then the Horde is like, well, they're all trapped in the mountain. He-Man's down. They can't do anything. So they literally burn this these people's homes to the ground, uh, which in the last episode you saw the Horde burning books. Now they're burning homes. And the Horde leaves, and they leave victorious, which is the only time that ever happens in the show. And She-Ra goes and gets the rebellion, comes back, finds out the mountain's about to collapse. So she saves her prostrate brother He-Man and all these villagers and takes them to the rebellion. And it's a very, like, somber episode in a lot of ways. And I also think because, you know, He-Man comes back quite a few times in the show, but this is the the only one we've covered of the crossovers uh, so far. I think this episode is of crucial importance in understanding kind of their relationship between He-Man and She-Ra as characters. And also, if you notice the subtitle of this episode, the, the topic we're talking about is privilege. And I think it has a lot to say about what privilege means in, in the way that those two characters relate to each other. But before maybe we get to the meat of that, I guess I'd like some uh, some feedback from Lauren here. So what I like about this episode is that it is a very clear and clean story. It is just clean, simple storytelling. They're trapped in a mine and they have to get out. And the simplicity of that really allows uh, human relationships to sort of shine through. And uh, I did like this one a lot. Yeah, I like it a lot, too. I just... There's a couple scenes that, for me, take it away from being, like, perfect. Uh, the chief of those is the waspoid scene, which has no real purpose whatsoever. Um, because the the central conflict of this episode is that the villagers are going to lose their homes in pursuit of freedom. And I think robot wasps kind of muddy the message a little bit. But everything else is very clean. So the robot wasps, I see your point. Um, in the end, it probably just was filler for the episode. But if I were to give it a justification, I would say it was to stall She-Ra for longer. Because kind of one of the major points of this episode is that the rebellion doesn't make it to help the people. And in one of our first episodes, the the message was sort of that the, the villagers have to stand up and help themselves. And sometimes they have to save themselves. And She-Ra getting stalled and the rebellion not arriving on time also encourages the people in this episode to take care of themselves. And I mean, they have He-Man, but he can't do anything, which I think is pretty fascinating. He's out of action. He is, and it was fun to see He-Man sort of put in his place. There was a moment, and I don't know if it was meant to be arrogant or condescending, but He-Man asks the villagers, do you have any weapons? And they say, no, only mining tools. And in my mind, he was going to go, well, let's improvise, get those pickaxes and shovels, and let's let's fight. And instead, He-Man's just very dismissive, like, welp, guess I have to handle this. All the crappy stuff that you have isn't going to help here. And he was not actually a very inspiring character this episode at all.
Adam coming from a world where the good guys are in power just doesn't necessarily have an understanding of the gravity of where his sister is living and what she's dealing with all the time. I think the strongest message in this episode was when He-Man sees the town burning and he basically just asks, what about all your material possessions? What about your stuff? Why aren't you going and getting your stuff? And the lesson that not only Shira but all of the common villagers are saying is there's more important things to care about in life than your material items and they they end up convincing him but he-man really does roll into the situation being like don't you want all your nice valuables and things so this gets to exactly what i want to say which is i think that the relationship between he-man and she-ra kind of perfectly illustrates what privilege is because they're siblings that start from the same place in life and Adora's whole life, she has to fight. She doesn't even have a choice. Like, she has to fight. She's in this horrible world where the bad guys are on top, and her entire life is a struggle. Adam's the total reverse. He has a life of luxury. He fights because it's fun for him. It's fun to be He-Man. And when he goes to help his sister out, he doesn't understand what's going on. Like, it's war. He's never seen that on Eternia. These people's homes are literally being destroyed, and he doesn't get it. He thinks it's about their possessions. Not for lack of trying, not that he's not a hero, but I just think that's, like, such a great illustration of privilege. Like, He-Man is this well-meaning dude who just, his life has been handed to him, and he doesn't get it. This bombing scene that we start this episode with is one of the more violent and intense images that I've encountered in this show so far. And my husband happened to walk in uh, while I was watching this scene. And He-Man basically asks for a status report of sorts. And I said in the room out loud, well, maybe you would know if you ever bothered to call or visit He-Man because we're getting the crap bombed out of us right now. And it's just such an obvious, like, what's going on here? What do you think's going on here right now, He-Man? God! One thing I did like, though, about He-Man in this episode is he does seem to have at least a glimmer of self-awareness when he says, I wish I were as confident as I sound. Mm -hmm. And I've commented on earlier episodes of this podcast that I love when She-Ra is sassy, when she sort of mouths back. It's clearly a family trait. And this sort of tilted the hand and, and showed a little bit that maybe some of that is just for show. Maybe that's not all purely confidence. Uh, the expression, I think, is sounding good on the radio. Yeah, and I thought it was pretty fascinating that his role in this episode was reduced to, like, Cave Guardian. Like, his job is to sit at the head of the, the cave, the mine, and deflect shots, and then at a certain point, he can't. Like, that's that's definitely second fiddle, you know, and it's, it's putting him in a position that he's not really ever in in his own show. Yeah, there was an earlier episode we watched. I guess it must have been the pilot because I haven't seen He-Man in any other episodes. And you sort of asked me at the time about the role reversals and the gender flipping. And I didn't feel in the pilot that that happened. And I feel like it definitely happened here. This was the, you know, stay behind, little lady. Just watch the people while I go do the heroism. Except in that case, little lady is He-Man. And then when She-Ra comes back, he's sitting cross-legged on the floor of the mine, holding up what's left with his arms, which is a pretty funny shot. And that, I mean, that's after he regains at least some of his strength through the, 
we don't see all of it due to the passage of time, but I get the clear impression that villagers were just carrying his giant bulky bod through the mine as they did the work, and that was hilarious. I also really liked that this episode, it, it couldn't be more obvious, but it also seems very perfect that the villagers struggle to just have a home and be free is contrasted with Orko, like not cleaning his room. And then he's like, oh, what's the guy got to do to get some freedom around here? Like, that's yeah. such a perfect look at how Eternia is different. Yeah, I'm I usually make fun of when the episodes are that heavy handed, but I really appreciated that because I think it's something kids and adults could really relate to. You know, I like to say in life that everyone's problems are valid and problems are relative. And so there are people suffering much, much worse hardship than me right now. But if I'm having a tough day, I still deserve my sadness. However, you need the reminder that even though your problems are relative and even though your feelings are valid... The people who have it worse in the world actually do have it worse in the world. And you should think about that and feel for them. And so seeing that scene of, okay, I know the worst thing you have going on right now is your room, but guess where I've been all day. And I think it makes it more relatable to kids. I mean, ask my mom. Cleaning my room was the worst thing that could happen to me when I was a child, for sure. Yeah, Orko is definitely uh, a stand-in for children, and and that way this episode is is doubly kind of cool because if you look at Eternia as just like a barely abstracted kind of planet Earth, like oh yeah, kids get what Orko's like, and the good guys are mostly in control, and then Etheria is just this like far off land of horrors, but now maybe it's real. Oh yeah, taking it to the modern era. So what do you think about, because we've kind of had this running discussion of, you know, the Horde being relatively incompetent. Uh, what do you think about how they act in this episode? One of the things this episode does really well is it increases the scale. And I felt like it increased the scale of the Horde army in terms of how many robots there are, the firepower that they have, and really just the militaristic grip that they have on the world. But I also think it made the rebellion look bigger. You know, an entire town's worth of people are now joining this effort, and it makes it feel like the entire conflict has grown since She-Ra came onto the scene. And that's really great. I did find it a little bizarre, as I always do, that <laughs> it, what, in what, what could be a moment of just sweeping devastation and victory, the Horde sort of 
backs off. They're like, well, He-Man was hit by a freeze ray. We're done. Kill He-Man in that moment. Get him. <laughs> but you can't because then the show would be over. Yeah, I, I mean, it's also a little weird that Hordak asks if the villagers have abandoned their homes before he gives the then order to burn, burn them. it. Yeah, and I guess if you want to do mental gymnastics, you could say, well, he doesn't want to, you know, uh, waste the, the the human resources that he could capture later. But clearly it's just so the parents at home know no one is being burned alive. I do want to connect this, though, to some things that are going on today. I don't think it's as easy as it has, it has been in other episodes to do a, like, direct Hordak Trump thing. Like, I'm not really seeing that here. But what I am seeing is the idea that if a problem isn't yours, you can just sort of ignore it. I mean, we're talking about this already with He-Man's very privileged. He doesn't experience a lot of things like this in his day-to-day life. The characters in his universe, their problems are more first-world problems because they can't relate to Etheria. It's funny that we talked about Dragon Con at the beginning of this because Dragon Con has been on my mind a lot since I came back. I saw on the various Dragon Con Facebook groups, official and otherwise, a lot of concern this year in particular about what if white supremacist or Nazi groups show up and rally at Dragon Con or uh, Kevin Sorbo, Hercules from the 90s, uh, is apparently going to be speaking at an anti-LGBT rally. And someone wanted to discuss that. Like, one of our childhood heroes is kind of a bigot. Uh, there was, There's always discussion, and I can't believe we keep having these discussions about blackface in cosplay or people referring to an African-American cosplayer always with the qualifier that they're black Goku or they're black Ash, as opposed to just ignoring that. Long story short... The Dragon Con forums, in my opinion, have this huge problem where anyone who wants to talk about those issues of society or social justice, like Nazis are literally marching in our streets right now. This is a real issue in 2017. It's not hypothetical. And people are saying, can't we just have fun at Dragon Con? Can't we just have one place where we don't talk about stuff like that? ban this person for bringing up politics and personal opinion when we're just supposed to all be having fun at Dragon Con. I I want this to be my escape. And that's such a privileged thing to be able to say. Like, I'm a straight white male, or in some cases even a straight white woman, and I have to hear about racism and LGBT rights everywhere else in my life. Can't this group of 82,000 people just shut up about human rights and talk about Star Wars? And I'm just horrified by that, you know? And it's what's what's extra striking to me is I was seeing He-Man and She-Ra cosplay at this event and was like, gosh, how many of these She-Ra cosplayers love She-Ra so much but would, like, refuse to talk about race or would refuse to talk about gender at this con you know i hope the people who are dressing up as these characters got the messages from the show that we're trying to get every week at gen con which is a much smaller affair but still gigantic i i saw i think four shira cosplayers and i talked to three of them about this show and you always when you meet someone you try to slide in the politics like later in the discussion like it can't be first thing but and invariably 
all those women said, oh, it still holds up. And I'm like, cool, they're going to get what I'm saying. And so I, I said, like, yeah, it's cool how, you know, it's like this woman fighting against a militaristic regime with her, her band of, like, rebel women allies. And, and two of the women were like, yeah, it's great. And then one of the women, as soon as I said that, she, like, didn't want to talk anymore. And I was like, Aww. oh, boy, like, I don't, I mean, I, I get it. With Shira, I guess, because people like have these rose colored glasses on about their childhood. It's nostalgia, tense, critical thinking. But with stuff like Star Trek, I don't understand how you like Star Trek and are a bigot. I just don't get it. Like, what show are you watching? Right. Did you miss the core messages of this media? And childhood nostalgia aside, the the book and the history you've been presenting to us every week clearly states that feminism and progressive issues at least through the lens of the 80s was the intent of the creation here in general i'm really against the idea of turning one's brain off or just like sitting back and being sort of mindlessly entertained by any of the movies or television shows that i love if there's not challenging ideas in the show what are you watching it for? Um, I will say something else fans have like the few criticisms of this episode fans have nicked the Mantena ejection scene, which I, I really enjoyed poor Mantena, even in Hordak's little crawler, however far away from the fright zone, he's still susceptible. There's still that little bit of goofiness in the show. This episode was very funny. And I was wondering while watching it, if this is the, you know, the most pivotal 10 out of 10 episode there is, is it meant to be funny? Is it okay to laugh? But Mantena, made me crack up not just that scene but did you notice he has four feet and only wears two boots no i didn't notice that i was very distracted by that <laughs> that's amazing he only, he only needs two shoes but he's got four feet on the ground man what's your deal uh, also that the the element is called ethereum very you know avatar unobtainium there for me also something that wasn't supposed to be funny was when we thought She-Ra and He-Man might be crushed in the mine, Swiftwind cries one manly horse tear. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's an image. That's like that's like straight off of a Lisa Frank binder. I know this isn't going to happen because it can't, but I always wish He-Man would cross that last privilege threshold and say, I'm going to stay here until this fight is done. And I guess he can't because Eternia has its own slew of things going on. But one of the main facets of specifically white privilege 
is that at the end of the day, you can be the biggest ally you can be, but you still get to go home at night and live in a system that continues to benefit you. Like as a white person, I recognize that no matter how hard I try, America right now is built in such a way that I have perks and benefits that a person of color doesn't have. And He-Man sort of embodies that in that he comes and helps, but at the end of the day, he still gets to go to sleep tonight at a place where he's the prince and not getting bombed. And so you can only take his good intentions so far when you know that he still can opt out whenever he wants to and does. So, boy, as far as morals go... Another shifty one. Uh, another shifty one. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, this episode, you know, as Lauren has stated, the actual ethics of the episode, pretty clear. And yet, maybe the moral could make a, a try at hammering that home, right? You'd think? Maybe that would be nice. Guess not. Guess not. So, the moral that we get... In today's story, the villagers' homes were destroyed by fire. Fire can be a very dangerous thing. It can hurt you. It can destroy your home. But you can prevent this. If you don't play with matches or lighters, you won't get burned. Bye now. Looky. Looky. The villagers didn't play with matches. Right. Like, that's not why their homes burned. They couldn't avoid it. They were very responsible fire users in their homes, and still their homes burned down, Lucky. You're not helping anybody. Probably. Maybe there's a draft of the script where, like, one of the villagers, like, left an unattended stove running, and that's why the horde came. Hordak was like, burn the town. Oh, wait, no. Someone didn't put out their campfire well enough. It's already taken care of. Right. Yeah, this is this is a weird one. I mean, I guess, what do you say if you're the writer? Like, what do you put in the moral that the episode doesn't already say but it's not really about fire it's about freedom right like that's the key here i just feel like they probably had a list of like a hundred morals that needed to be tied to some episode somewhere and they were getting to the bottom of the list and they were like well there was fire in this episode all right that's true Book burning, they went with library, so this one had to be fire. Right, only so many fire episodes, right. you guys. Those are the only two where things light on fire, I think. We covered them both. This is the She-Ra podcast dedicated to all things fire. So what would you make the moral of this episode, assuming that you don't think the fire angle is that important to play up? Well, as we discussed, I really think the main moral of this episode was covered very well by the story itself. So if I were to pull something just dynamic and different out of the content, I would probably make it about siblings and the differences between siblings. Uh, Me and my little sis, her name is Dawn, she will never listen to this show, uh, did not get along as kids. We're about as different as two kids can get in terms of Uh, academic achievement, social life, extracurricular activities, temperament, 
even our physical appearance, I refer to her as like if someone made a Mortal Kombat color swap of me because she has, she can tan when I can't and she puts blonde in her hair when I don't. So it's like taking the darkness of my hair and lightening it and taking the lightness of my skin and darkening it and being like, great, that's a different character now, totally different. But He-Man and She-Ra are extraordinarily different in this episode, and yet they still manage to talk to each other, they communicate, they problem-solve together, and they get along. And growing up not getting along with my sister, I think the show could have done something about maybe you don't always get along or agree or see situations the same way, but if you take the time to talk to each other and figure out each other's strengths and work together, you and your brother or sister can make a great team. Isn't that wholesome? That's really sweet. And more (laughs) relevant than fire. A little bit, yeah. A little bit more relevant than don't play with matches. Unless it really was careless village people. I guess we'll never know. I'm going to watch this episode again, just entirely assuming someone left the gas on in their house. Like they went to work at the mine and their stove was still on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My hair straightener. What a terrible day. <laughs> Thanks for listening to She-Ra Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or as a comment on our podcast page at progressiveofpower.wordpress.com. This week, we brought in friend and future guest of the podcast, Don Ziana Moon, to tell us a little bit about what you can do to help Puerto Rico. October 27th, from 7 to 10 p.m., we're going to be doing a disaster relief concert. It's going to be at Uncommon Ground Devon, which is on 1401 West Devon Avenue in Chicago. And it's going to feature live performances by myself and a handful of other Chicago musicians. And there will also be a silent auction. It's a suggested donation of $10 a person. And then... If you keep an eye on artistsagainsthate.org or Artists Against Hate on Facebook, you'll see that I'm putting together a compilation album that's going to be ready in the next few days with a whole slew of Chicago musicians and Chicago musician friends from other places to, again, raise money for Puerto Rico. 100% of the proceeds are going to go to Hurricane Disaster Relief. 